Welcome, Light City. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to each of you for spending a few minutes with us. Wherever you are, in whatever situation you're finding yourselves in, I'm confident that God is with you and he wants to use today's message to speak identity, purpose, uh, desire to you for the amazing life that he has set out before you. If you're a guest or you're new to this channel or new to our church, uh, it's no accident that you're here. And if you'll give us a little bit of your morning, I know that you will leave empowered and encouraged. Uh, well, this morning I want to jump in, uh, but before I do, I want to say make sure that you like this video, subscribe to our channel, and turn on the notification bell so that, every, so that you're notified every time we go live or we post some new great content. Uh, and also, if you haven't had a chance yet to partner with us uh, and give, and you want to partner uh, to help us to continue to preach the gospel to our community, and we're hearing stories of people from around the world, there are links in the description box below if you're on YouTube. Uh, if not, and you're on the website, on our page, if you just scroll down, there's a place for you to give there. Now, uh, as we get started, I don't know if you're on social media at all uh, lately, uh, but I've been noticing that with all the craziness that has been happening in life, memes, you know, it's funny to preach about memes, but memes are popping up. Uh, and the general idea is that we would like to return 2020. Uh, it's defective, it's broken, and we'd like to return it. Uh, and I've been laughing about this, uh, but recently had the thought that what if all of these events that these are the things, these are the events that God is going to use to answer our prayer and our heart for revival. You know, not that God has created them, but that he will use them for his glory. And that's why I'm so excited for this month in our new series called Till the Whole World Sees Jesus. Because that was Jesus' MO. He would stir stuff up to wake people up out of their status quo. And so this week, or, or this month rather, we're going to dedicate the whole month to talking about Jesus and really what is our mission as a church, which is very simple, uh, is that we want to tell as many people as possible in our lifetime about Jesus. You're going to find out real quick that I am a Jesus guy. I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, uh, that he's actually the only superhero, and he means everything to me. He's changed my whole perspective of the world. He's changed my whole perspective of getting up in the morning and what that means. And, and so that's going to probably come out in this message in this month pretty clear. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to believe what I believe. Here at Light City, you belong. You know, we're all human beings. We've learned that we've got a lot more in common than we don't, and that we need each other, and we can't do this life alone. That things are complex and challenging and painful and difficult and wonderful in this life, and we need each other. Uh, and so we're committed to this idea of relationships and community that exists to ensure that you feel loved and cared about and listened to, that somebody is praying with you, that whatever's going on in your life, if you want to tell somebody something that's great that's going on in your life or something that's difficult, you know, in the chat right now, there are people waiting just to talk with you and to connect with you and give you more information about how you can lean into community and continue to walk with people. You know, it's, it's very clear in my life that this community has changed my life. You know, I met my wife here. My daughter is now growing up in this community, and I love this church. And this morning, it's my honor to tell the story of Jesus to you today 
uh, and as I preach this message to you. And the title of the message is Jesus is the End. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 21, uh, and we're going to go through what is arguably, you know, other than the crucifixion itself, the most dramatic, passionate moment in Jesus's entire ministry, really in his entire life. And in Matthew chapter 21, it says, starting in verse 12, that Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. You know, he drove them out. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And, you know, this is pretty radical. Jesus is literally pushing people out of the church. You know, he's flipping over tables. You know, he's probably kicking over cages with little birds in it. And he says, you know, the birds will be all right. You know, he says, you might think this is an overreaction, But it's written that my house shall be called a house of prayer. Or that it's a place where people can easily talk to God. But you've made it a den of robbers. uh, robbers. And in verse 14, listen to this. This is right after the dramatic and radical act of Jesus. It says, the blind and the lame came to him. And I love this, that there was now room for broken people to come to him. And he healed them because that's who God is. He healed them. And when the chief priests uh, and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, you know, and this is what I believe about Jesus, that he does wonderful things. And this is just what he does. And we're here today celebrating the God who does wonderful things. He does wonderful things. And, and in this passage of scripture, the children were crying out in the temple. And, and I've realized this now that I'm a parent, you know that kids don't make stuff up. Right? Well, that's not true. I mean, they definitely make stuff up, but they're authentic when it comes to their praise. You know, they, they definitely do make some up. You know, I got a daughter who's only one, and she's already making stuff up. Uh, but this is the thing. The, the kids are there, and we know that this is a genuine thing that's happening. These kids spot Jesus, and they spontaneously start singing Hosanna, crying out to the son of David, uh, and the, the people there were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these kids are saying? They're essentially calling you God. And, and he says, haven't you ever heard out of the mouth of nursing infants or nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And then Jesus probably physically exhausted, left the city and lodged in Bethany. And I want to do my best this, this today to explain to you the significance of this passage of Scripture. For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, and you know, even if you're not familiar, uh, it's no worries. Uh, we'll try to put some context so that we're all on the same page. You know, in the next few moments, I'd like to try to explain to you why Jesus does, catch this, one of the most misunderstood, challenging, puzzling acts in his entire life and ministry. In fact, one gospel's record, you know, it's debatable, but that Jesus actually made a whip to drive people out. You know, Jesus, uh, in this particular scene, you know, it's, it's very different from when he is holding children in his arms and he's blessing them. And this scene is, you know, we see this radical, passionate, confrontative, seemingly contentious Christ who wants to drive people out and turn over, ta- ta- turn over tables of business, you know, kick cages that are full of birds, you know, and it's like, whoa, what happened to the other Jesus, right? 
and what does this mean? And, and, and here's what I mean. You know, in portions of Scripture like this, uh, that we do not understand how to see things in full story mode, uh, that we start to go, you know, like, you know, what? I like this mild, meek, kind Jesus, and, you know, that's going to be my Jesus, this guy. And, you know, then you have other people groups who are like, you know, I like the radical Jesus, you know, who makes whips and kicks people out of churches and stuff like that. And, you know, that's the kind of Jesus that I like. And, you know, and, and based off of our personalities, we are attracted to particular portions of Jesus' story when in fact we're to take him for who he is completely taken for who he is fully. And so I want to do my best to help us to understand that the meek, you know, bio-kind Jesus is the same Jesus who drives people out of the church to ensure that the church is going to be the church. And I'm going to do my best to explain that. Uh, so let's close our eyes and pray and let's hope for the best. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your wisdom, for your word, for your knowledge in our life. We ask that you'd open up our eyes to understand and receive the truth, that we'll remove all of our biases, all of our preconceived ideas about who you are, and we'll be able to observe you in the full beauty and perfection of who you came to show us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've ever been watching a movie um, and you kind of, you know, check out a little bit of the movie, uh, and then it cuts to the climactic conclusion, you know, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, why? Wait, what, what's, what's happening? You know, and, and, uh, my first experience of this, and you might laugh, was Old Yeller, okay? You know, it's so, it was so traumatic, you know, and it really has stuck with me all these years. And I think that essentially it was this movie is to blame for my unhealthy bond to animals. And so if you know the story of Old Yeller, uh, then you knew more than I did the first time that I watched it. I must have missed when Old Yeller got bit, you know, when he contracted rabies. Uh, because when the older, older brother walks Old Yeller out to the shed, and all of a sudden you hear... And, you know, when I'm looking at my friends frantically and they're crying and I'm like, what? You know, what did he do? And my friends are like, they shot him, right? And I stood up outraged. And I'm like, why did they shoot the dog? And they're like, hey, man, like, have you, haven't you, you know, been watching what's been going on? And I'm like, yeah, you know, most of it. Uh, you know, and, and this is the beginning of kind of my understanding of my personality traits and how my brain works. Uh, and they're like, you know, the dog, he has rabies. And I'm like, what's rabies? You know, and I remember one of my friends tried to describe to me what rabies was. And they're like, rabies, you know, is like a wild animal that has been bit by this contagious disease. And this animal who has rabies bit old yeller. You know, and again, I said in disbelief, you know, you know, when did they bite old yeller, right? And my friends are like, I don't know, like a half hour ago, you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying to say like, you know, what takes place? And, and they're like, said, somebody's me somebody said that, you know, rabies means that the dog is now going to become a wild dog and then it's going to attack the family. And I said, still outrage, you know, old yeller would never attack the family. Let the dog live. Let the dog live. And why do I bring this up? Because I think sometimes reading this book, you know, and it's the most read book of all time. It's 
the bestseller of all time. You know, it's the ultimate story. It's the ultimate highs and lows and pains and challenges and miracles and the creation of a whole nation and God's providence. And then it's extraordinary. But sometimes if you're like me, when reading it or even watching productions of it, you can get lost a little bit, you know, miss a key part and then kind of not really understand it the rest of the, the way through. You know, it's kind of like, wait, why? Wait, what? Wait, what happened? You know, now why did Jesus die? You know, why did he rise from the grave? Why did he just levitate into the sky, right? Why didn't he stay with us? What, why is he coming back? And, and sometimes we get around scriptures and we get around the story and we get around the narrative, but we miss a lot of key parts. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take probably, let's say, hopefully the next 34 minutes. And I would like to draw your attention to a very key moment. In fact, if you've ever struggled in understanding what this book is all about, if this book has ever overwhelmed you, if this book has ever intimidated you, if this book has ever made you go like, man, I just don't get it. You know, that's not for me. Wherever you're watching, this could be a clarifying moment for you. And I'd like to, to suggest just in the few verses that we have already read sums up the entire reason Jesus came to the earth. And, and that in, you know, it's crazy, but in a scene of what seems like rage, we're about to understand why Jesus came. Now, first of all, it's important for us to go into a little bit of context. And this is an annual festival or feast. It's what's called the Passover season. And it's a very important season in the Jewish calendar. And so there are foreigners and, you know, there are people from out of town and everybody has come to worship at the temple. For in these days, the concept of worship could only be fulfilled at the temple. Now, it should also be noticed that Jesus is only, and this is what some scholars believe, that he's two weeks away from the crucifixion. So at least we know, right, at least he's a few weeks away from being crucified, and he approaches the temple. Now, in ancient times, the temple was chaos, right? It was chaos. And yes, it was the home of worship, you know, it was the hub of the world if you were one of the ones who believed in the one and only true God, you know, the God of Israel. It was the only place, in essence, that you could worship. And Jesus shows up and, you know, well, let's just say, let's call it like it is, right? He tears the place up, right? He tears the place up. And and so you got to step back for a moment and go, why would Jesus tear up the temple, right? And first of all, it should be established that the people that Jesus drives out of the temple and turns over their tables and kicks over the cages, he loves them too. But he's sending a message, and by the way, it's loud and clear, and it's still imperative and important for us to understand and investigate why Jesus is being so demonstrative, so dramatic. And, you know, why is Jesus so indignant? Why is he so fired up? I mean, there's just no basis at all that Jesus is just kind of, you know, walking through the temple going like, hey guys, please, like, come on, please just get out of here. You know, hey you, you too, come on, please, 
please guys. No, that's, that's absolutely not what's happening here. Jesus is, and if you're a church person, we like to call it righteous indignation. And really what it means is he's mad here, and here's why. First of all, Jesus is declaring to the universe that this form of worship, this type of worship is coming to an end. It's coming to an end in what we, we know in a matter of weeks. And Jesus will once and for all end this entire approach to worship. This form of worship, which is easily manipulated and controlled by men, this is going to come to an end. And I'll say it like this. Jesus is about to replace everything that the temple represents. Jesus is just going to replace it. In fact, it's prophesied that the Messiah would come and destroy the temple. He would destroy the temple or he would fulfill all of what the temple represented. Jesus would simply do away with it. And it would be Jesus at the end of everything that the temple represents. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you four things that Jesus is telling us very clearly, right? There's most definitely more, but there's four things that Jesus is telling us today that we are to go beyond and look for him at the end. And it's very clear in this scene at the temple that number one, Jesus is the end of sacrifice, now, if you're here today and you're a believer, I want to just declare that we choose Jesus over sacrifice. And I'm going to explain what I mean by this. But if you're not a Jesus follower, uh, you're going to be set free because what you've maybe heard about Christianity or the worshipers of Jesus is that we are just more noble than everybody else. You know, we are so excellent and we are so moral, right? And of course, Jesus, by tearing up the temple, is telling us something that you don't get close to God by being better or good. And here's what I mean. Two things. Here's the temple scene, and we'll explain a little bit for clarification. There's chaos in the outer court. Now, if you know about the temple, there's the outer court, there's the inner court, and there's the, the most holy place. We won't get into all those details. But the outer court of the temple is where the chaos ensues. It's here, evidently, that in the outer court of the temple is full of merchants. And it's full of people either exchanging money or selling items for sacrifice. Now, here's the problem. There's only one kind of coin that you can use to buy an item to sacrifice. And it's the silver coin that doesn't have any pagan images or any images of any other gods on it. And so you would have to go to the money changers who had the proper silver coins. You know, only one kind of coin could, you could use to buy the bird or buy the lamb to make the sacrifice. And wouldn't you know there was extortion going on? They're overcharging people, but it gets worse. So you can exchange your money uh, because, again, there's, you know, many Gentiles here and many foreigners. You know, it's not just Jews. Uh, and there's also Jews from out of town who are all welcome to come and worship in the temple. But by strict laws, you've got to have the right silver coin. You know, then you've got to have the right animal. And, and there, if you can't afford to buy doves, then you can use pigeons. 
And this is literally the church in Jesus's day. And so you can imagine the smell and, you know, you can imagine the sounds and you can imagine the disparity and you can imagine the tension and you can imagine the division and the comparison as people are, you know, mind you, they're doing their, they're doing their best, you know, but, but keep in mind, my brothers and sisters, that this act of sacrifice was the only way that you could be forgiven for the wrong that you knew that you did. You know, so this was not like people are just like strolling around like, hey man, what's good? You know, I'm good. Yeah, I'm just here going to praise God real quick. You know, that's not the scene here. Everybody is in the hustle and the bustle, you know. Everybody's stressed out because they're trying to get enough money and they're over there overpaying for the exchange of the silver coin because we were not even from around here. So we don't have access to that. So we got to pay a premium. And, and then I, can, I can't really afford two doves. And so I guess two pigeons will do. And then he triple charges me on the pigeons and everybody's wheeling and everybody's dealing. And Jesus actually is. And, and this is the thing. It's actually very dangerous what Jesus did. And he shows up and starts pushing people out. And he's like, get out of here. And, and he starts turning over tables full of silver coins. And I mean, here's the thing we're talking about. He's literally throwing money on the ground. And I wonder how that went down and, and really why. Because there was only one way to worship God. You had to have a sacrifice. And you know what's interesting about the sacrifice is in Luke chapter 2 records that Jesus you know, he has a stepdad, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. And when they finally brought him to the temple to present him, which is the tradition and custom, it says that they presented him to God. They presented to God a sacrifice in honor of their son, two pigeons, or some translations say two turtle doves, which is the cheapest of the cheap. And, you know, I wonder, and let's just have some fun for a moment. I wonder if the parents of Jesus were extorted when they went to offer their sacrifice at the temple. I wonder if Jesus knew growing up. You know, we think that Joseph died when Jesus was young. And so Jesus, a lot of his life was with a single mother. And I wonder if that single mother, you know, though, you know, we think about the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh, and, you know, those gifts from the wise men, they did help supply for Jesus. But I wonder if sometimes Mary still went to sacrifice at the temple while Jesus was growing up and was extorted when trying to buy items to sacrifice to God for the forgiveness of her sins. And I wonder if Jesus, you know, his righteous indignation grew over the years as he watched the injustice firsthand, you know, even in the first few days of his birth. You know, now remember, you know, you might be like, oh, well, like this is some ancient thing. And it's like, no, no, this was absolutely what people believed. This was the only way you could be covered for your sin. So can you imagine the fear, the anxiety, you know, the and these money changers and sellers were leveraging it. And so the temple was not a place of peace. The temple was not a place where people could, ha could easily talk with God. It was a place of chaos. And now it starts to make sense, doesn't it? And, and that's why he started throwing people out. By the way, it should be noted that crazily, when Jesus dies and rises again, this whole thing starts over again, and he still did it. Now think about that. 
he knows that they're going to just pick up their tables, they're going to collect their coins, and they're going to do business all over again. So it's not that Jesus is saying, I'm going to fix this once and for all. I mean, he is on the cross, death, death, burial, and resurrection. But he's making a statement for us even today. And here's the statement. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. You no longer need an annual sacrifice to be in right relationship with God and receive forgiveness. And yet so often we peddle a message still today in 2020, a religion that tells people the reason we're forgiven is because we do things right or better than others. And so because of that, God forgives us. And that's the very thing Jesus drove out of his church. It's the very reason he overturned the tables, this exclusive mentality. And, you know, I'm fired up, so bear with me. You know, I've had a long, interesting week, but it's the same spirit. It's, it's the same spirit. And we tell people, or, you know, evidently somehow the rumors have gotten out, the story has gotten out on the streets, that you can't come to church unless you've got your stuff together. And this was the same problem 2,000 years ago. And here's the problem. Poor people couldn't even have enough money to pay for their forgiveness. So now it's become a class system and Jesus is the sacrifice and he's kicked out everything else that'll keep you from him, right? How passionate is Jesus about removing everything that hinders people from God, right? This is his mission. It's his mission. And the next point is that Jesus is the end of division. So in this scene, you've got Jews and you've got Gentiles, you've got foreigners, you've got poor people, you've got rich people, you've got good people, you've got bad people, you've got upper class, you've got lower class, you've got middle class, you've got different ethnicities and backgrounds, and they're all colliding at the temple, and it's diversive. And there's an undercurrent of manipulation and contention and competition and appearances and comparison that made up the culture of the temple. And evidently, Creator God doesn't want this to be happening. So he put on skin and bones, and he tore up the church to make a point. And that's why Galatians chapter 3 says there's no longer, you know, now that Jesus has come, there's no longer Jew and non-Jew, slave, free, male, female amongst you. You were all created equal. That is, we're all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I've been shouting for the last, what I think is five minutes straight. So we have to move past division to get to Jesus. And those things that can divide us now can be the very things that unite us. Our differences make up the beauty of who our God is. And, and I'm going to move past this, number two, uh, because I want to spend a little bit of extra time on number three, is that we believe Jesus is the end of oppression. Jesus is the end of oppression. A big part of the temple in Jesus's day functioned on oppression. You know, we could oppress certain people. You know, there was limited access if you were not the right ethnicity. There was limited access if you were not the right sex. There was limited access if you were too young. There was limited access if you didn't have enough money. And that's called oppression. And the system fed it. And so there was the haves and there was the have-nots. And 
when you start talking like that, you can sometimes realize that not a lot has changed in 2020. We still have so many forms of oppression. And I want you to see the radical zeal and indignation and righteous anger of Jesus against oppression. Right? These are all God's children, and he loves his children. I, and, and I want you to understand, it's not that it's so much that Jesus is mad at people, as much as he's mad at the spirit, or he's mad at an attitude that oppresses the centerpiece of his creation. And look what it says. It says that when Jesus tore up the temple, then there was room. And look what it says in Matthew chapter one. My house was designated as a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves or a hangout of thieves. Now, and now, now that this has happened, now, now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in. Now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in and they came to Jesus and Jesus healed them, right? He healed them because they're just wasn't room for him to heal them before, right? If you were disfigured, if you were mangled, if you were crippled, and, and by the way, the predominant thought was that if you were crippled or something, that somebody had sinned in your family or that you had sinned, and that's what had caused it. And, and, and that was a reality that was peddled by holy men and that it was something bad that you did. And, and this is just the judgment on your life. And, and so because that you can't come into a holy place, you're not welcome here. And Jesus hates that spirit. He hates the spirit of oppression. That's not the spirit of Jesus. And, and so we have to own our own biases, don't we? We have to own simply where we are biased, where we would either intentionally or silently allow oppression, where, where we would allow it in our own hearts and where we would allow it in our own minds, you know, in our jokes and in our social circles, because Jesus tears that up. Jesus says, that's not my way. That's not my way. But we use these things of oppression so often in our world and, and in these worlds to build careers. We use oppression to build brands. We use oppression to build up ourselves. And, and Jesus did not come to serve, but, or he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What if we could be the church who said no? That we choose the way of Jesus, not the way of oppression. And you think, if you think the way of oppression is hard to find, you are, you are simply unaware of the human condition because oppression is the natural way. Oppression is the normal way. Oppression is everywhere, it's, but it's not supposed to be in the church. This is supposed to be different. We're supposed to live out of a different kind of social construct. We're supposed to love people different and we're supposed to think different and talk different and listen different and care different. We're supposed to cry different and laugh different. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be as passionate as Jesus was against oppression, right? Come one, come all. That was the message of Jesus. I mean, he rebukes people for this, right? You remember the disciples? Sorry for shouting so much. Remember the disciples, and, and they're all like, you know, all, you know, all these babies are coming to Jesus, and, you know, and all the stuff, and it's like, you know, Jesus isn't here to do a meet and greet with these kids, you know, and get them out of here, and, and Jesus says to them very sternly, you don't understand, do you? 
He says, you've got to be like a child to understand what I'm doing. You know, I think about another time that Peter was like, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, this town over here, they don't like you. And he's like, I got an idea. We're going to call down fire. What do you think? And Jesus says to Peter, he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You know, the simplest way to explain spirit is an attitude. You don't understand what attitude you just took right there. You see, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. Come one, come all. Jesus is the end of oppression. Jesus over oppression. You know, isn't it crazy? I know that I just said it, but, you know, Jesus, his, his parents were probably extorted the first time that he was presented in the temple. And then, like I said, we think that Joseph dies and when Jesus was still young in age. And now, you know, maybe, just maybe, and again, this is just conjecture. Bear with me for a moment. Jesus sees his single mama extorted, you know, and out of all places, the temple. And I'm telling you, something must have just grown in the heart of our God and Savior as he realized the one place that was supposed to be different was now actually the problem that it was a place of oppression, that the temple was no longer a place of peace. It was no longer a place that you could talk to God, and it was a place of chaos and a place of stress, but Jesus was replacing the system. And lastly, I want to tell you what we choose. And I know that I'm talking to Light City right now, and, you know, if you send a link to a friend you know, who's never been to our church, you know, send them a text real quick and let them know. It's not always this intense. You know, we promise, cross our hearts, right? Because lastly, what we want to say is that Jesus is the end of tradition. Jesus over tradition. Now, this is, you know, these, these last two, oppression and tradition, are so ingrained in what we do that we often don't see them anymore, Right? Like, you ever have somebody who's been over to your house, you know, and they've never been there before, and they're like, you know, oh man, that's a, you know, that's a cool picture. You know, you, you about to hang that up because it's on the ground, and you're like, wait, what? Oh yeah, like, uh, you, yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, you got like a picture, a portrait that's just like on the ground. Are, are you about to hang that? And you're like, they're like, you just get that? And you're like, no, we, uh, we got that when we're married. You know, they're like, well, okay, cool. Uh, but do you want me to, you know, I, I can help you with that. Like right now, probably take like three minutes. You know, we can hang it. You know, where do you want to hang it? And this has literally happened to me. And I'm like, uh, I, I guess, okay, sure. And they're like, okay, choose a wall. That one? All right, great. You got a hail and a neighbor? And a hail, a nail and a hammer? And I'm like, uh, you know, babe, we got a nail. And this has literally happened to me. And they're, they're just like, boom, done, hang it. That looks good. And I'm like, what in the world is wrong with me? Right? Like, how did I not see that for all these years? And this is how tradition is, right? That's how oppression is. It's, it's just that we don't even see it anymore. It's just what we do, right? It's just always been there. It's just always been that way. It's always been around. It's like, you know, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. It's always been there. And that's why we often need to be provoked by people 
who don't totally understand our ways or even understand our story, but sometimes they ask provocative questions. You know, like, here's one. Why do you guys talk like that, right? And we're like, because uh, my dad did, uh, and his dad did, and he said that God said that that's what this meant, right? And we're all like, okay, for real. It's, and it's like 48 years, we're still preaching this stuff like it's in the book, right? And that's what scripture says. It says the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, right? They're like, hey, Jesus, we got tradition here, but they don't wash their hands when they eat. And it's like, oh, right? And this is what these guys spend their time on, right? Like people are dying in their streets and they confront Jesus with, uh, Jesus, you know, your guys, they don't uh, wash their hands, right? And Jesus' response is epic. You know, he goes, you know, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions, right? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, that whoever curses your father or your mother should die. But you say, if anyone tells his mother or his father, hey, what I would have given to take care of you, I gave to God, right? And they literally just made that up, right? They made that up, by the way. They just made this idea up. They made it up to cover up the law. They used it up. They used this reality to cover up the law of God. They made the word of God void because they've got traditions that they need to keep intact. Now, I read that scripture, you know, and maybe you think what I think, right? Immediately, you think of examples of Christians that you've come into contact with or, but here's the thing. We can't start here. We can't start here by pointing fingers at churches that hurt you or organizations that have cheated you. You know, we can't, we can't start there. We have to start with ourselves, that Jesus in me is the end of tradition. And I'm going to be bold in these last few minutes as I close that God has called this church Light City. And I realize not everyone here is a part of this church, Light City. But if I may, let me talk to the people who are part of our family, our Light City family, that God has called us in our generation to choose Jesus over tradition. And I've realized that in each and every successive generation who worships the living God, we must choose again for ourselves to follow Jesus and not to succumb to the traditions of men that lead to exclusivity and leave no more room for the lost. And, 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 and I'm making a declaration today with every ounce of my being, you know, literally sweating profusely. And I'm declaring that we are not going to serve tradition. We're going to serve Jesus, right? Is it okay to suggest that we could go to the highways and to the byways and to let people know that they're already forgiven, that all they've got to do is just simply receive it. That, that like, look, people's lives right now are hanging in the balance. And, and you say, you know, Alex, are you, you know, so you want the church to be, uh, and here's the thing, I don't know. 
I just know that if we will reject the traditions of men to follow Jesus, maybe we'll reach one more. And maybe that one more is somebody's baby or somebody's son or somebody's daughter or somebody's daddy or somebody's mama. And they matter to God. And so that's what we're doing, right? My God, the world doesn't need another religious organization, but the world needs Jesus. And look, I'm not trying to put us down. I love us. I'm trying to preach about mission. Greatness to me is, is mission. And, and if we can go to our grave knowing that we've made a dent in the darkness and that maybe some demons knew our names because when we showed up in cities and towns and ghettos and neighborhoods, we made a difference, right? Something we're going to do, something we're going to say, something that we're going to be provoked by. We've got to be provoked by the passion of Jesus, right? Even if you don't believe in him, you've got to look at this man. You know how dangerous it was? The, the temple was one of the most politically charged, manipulated PowerPoints of the globe. And Jesus goes into the middle of the chaos and says, no. Matthew 21 in the message translation. And then I'm done, I promise. Look at Matthew 21. It says, Jesus went straight into the temple and threw at everyone who had set up shop, buying and selling, kicked over the tables of the loan sharks and the stalls of the dove merchants. And he quoted this text, my house was designed to be, was designated a house of prayer and you've made it a hangout for thieves. Now, catch this, now. Now that he did what he did, now that he stood up for what he believed in, now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in and he healed them. And that's what this is all about. I got one minute. It says, going on in that same passage, when the religious leaders saw the outrageous things that he was doing, they heard all the children running. You know, they heard the kids running and shouting. And, and man, I read that. And it was like, I read it for the first time. I said, you know, like Jesus, right? Like how long did it take him to turn over the tables and push the people out? Like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. And so it's like in a matter of what was less, probably less than an hour, Jesus had so set free the space that babies are running around shouting Hosanna to David. And it's like, oh God, I want a church where people can run and shout. And like, I don't mean that you got to run and shout like literally around the building. Then everybody gets here and they're like, with all this running and shouting, it's like, dude, I can't even see Pastor Banner, right? But it's like, I'm not against that. And, and I want a church, I want a place, and I want to be a people where it's so authentic and it's so liberating and it's so loving and it's so caring that children run around and shout for joy. And that's the kind of church that we're building. And, and if you haven't noticed lately, this world is hemorrhaging, that people are dying and people are broken. And God has given us an opportunity to be a part of the difference, to be a part of the solution. And that's what we're believing for today. And I want to pray to close this service. I want to say thank you for letting me express what was on my heart, that Jesus is the end of sacrifice. He's the end of division, the end of oppression, the end of tradition. And I want to pray for you. And normally I pray for us that in some way we're rededicating our lives to God. In some way we're acknowledging what's wrong. And this morning I felt the leading of the Lord to go in a different direction that 
if you felt afraid to stand up for what you believe in. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to bring in all the different things that are happening in the world right now. And, but if you've wanted to stand up and you've wanted to have a voice and you've wanted to say things and you've wanted to be not afraid and you've wanted to show the love and the kindness and the compassion, but you felt afraid to, I'm gonna pray right now that God would give us the boldness to, not to stand up like we said last week, to be different for the sake of being different, but to be different because we believe different, to be different because we are different. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask in your homes or wherever you are right now in your cars that have had, that's you. I'm gonna ask you to slip up your hand Nobody's going to see you. Nobody's going to call you out. It's just, I believe something happens internally when we respond externally. And so if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men and these women and these children, every person under the sound of, our, of my voice. I thank you for their boldness, for their compassion, for their empathy, for their desire even to listen to this message that can sometimes be painful or controversial, but Lord, it's our heart that we want to be the difference. We want to be like Mother Teresa, the change that we see in the world. So Heavenly Father, right now I'm asking that you would embolden us to stand up for what you stood up for, the lost, the broken, the needy, that you've empowered us to be the change, that you've empowered us to be the ones who can affect our neighborhoods, our cities, our churches, the globe. I'm asking Heavenly Father for every area, every way, every way that we have maybe fallen into oppression and tradition on either side of the spectrum. But we repent for that and we say it's Jesus over those things. We choose Jesus. Jesus is the end of those things. In Jesus' name. And I want to pray really quickly if you caught this stream and you heard me speaking and you're like, that, that passion, that Jesus. That's the God that I want. And I'm going to invite you in a very, to just pray a very simple prayer. The Bible tells us that if we'd simply confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, that we would be saved. So I'm going to invite you, if that's you, to simply repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I need a Savior. I believe you are my Savior, sent from heaven to die for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Lead me, guide me, direct me, free me, empower me to be the person you've created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for watching. I hope that you were blessed. I trust that you were able to get through it and that you heard the heart that I believe that God is, is desiring to give to each and every one of us to be that change, to be that difference. If you prayed that salvation prayer for the first time, man, you can't see it right now, but our whole life city is rejoicing and celebrating. Man, you are on the greatest adventure of your life. Scripture tells us that heaven is rejoicing. It's throwing a huge party because you've decided to come back into the family. Can I tell you, here at Light City, we believe God has called us to be a family. If you're looking for a family, if you're looking for a community, we exist to serve you. So would you connect with us? Info at golightcity.com or you can hit us up in the chat right now. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to hear your heart. 
We see you. We love you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I trust that you were blessed. God bless. And remember, we'll be doing this till the whole world sees Jesus. God bless you guys.